again, and welcome back to the unofficial Lipscomb Alumni Podcast. We are right in the middle of a conversation with Rachel Miller-Thompson. We're going to jump into part two, but before we do, November 12th, unofficial alumni homecoming after party. It is going to be awesome. We're having this reunion shindig at Party Foul in Donaldson. Austin Smith, Lipscomb alum, owns that establishment, and it's going to be an amazing time. Open bar, tons of food, hot tunes, and good vibes. And we've announced both of our nonprofit organizations that our ticket proceed money will be going to. Open Table Nashville doing some incredible work in the community, headed up by LU alum Lindsey Glenn Crinks, class of 07. And we'll also be donating money to the work that LU alum Danny Russo Woods, class of 2010, is doing. She is the Dean of Student Wellbeing at Lipscomb. We're going to be giving money directly to the Student Care Emergency Fund. So, November 12th, tickets are available right now. Go over to my Instagram profile, bisons.podcast.unofficial. The ticket link is right there in my bio. Buy them quick because they're $50 right now, but they'll be $60 at the door because we'll have to pay a bunch of processing fees to Venmo, and I don't want to deal with those fees. So don't wait. Buy them now. Go to my Instagram profile. Click the link. See you there. All righty, we're jumping in here to part two. Rachel did an internship for her major, which was communications. And the internship was at some newsroom, maybe here in Nashville. And she just didn't enjoy it. Too much negativity for this positive girl. So next, she talked with our good old country music connected buddy and alum, Ryan Smith, and got a job with a casting company, helping Lipscomb students get in music videos and on camera at the CMAs. She was working three jobs at once, being exhausted, and hanging out in swimming pools with Kid Rock. The story is in here, folks. She ended up moving back home to Arkansas, and what unfolded really wasn't on Rachel's roadmap. This is where I want to stop and say, this is exactly why I do the podcast. This is a place where we as alums can share our truth. This is our alumni community safe zone, judgment-free zone, and everyone's story is just their story. Sometimes with my guests, there isn't a big story to tell. Sometimes we just roll through someone's personal resume. But other times, there's things that come up in real life that people want to share with us. And Rachel really wanted to tell her story, all the good and the challenging times she's been through. I want to thank her for her transparency, the honesty, the vulnerability to just put herself out there and share these experiences with us. Just to hear and to learn from Rachel's life, to see how God's been with her through this journey and where God has taken her family. It's very powerful. And as I mentioned in part one, Rachel's daughter Jolie is 11 or 12 now, depending on if she had a birthday since we did this interview. And along with her husband, Adonis, they're living it up Jonesboro style. And Rachel has found an immense passion in the education field, specifically in the special education space. All right, let's jump into some music. As I mentioned before, getting a couple requests from Rachel on the intro music. This one is a song she sings to her husband all the time by the artist Her from the 2019 album, I Used to Know Her, and the jam is called As I Am. And on the back end, I love these funky covers from the group Scary Pockets. This one features vocalist Michael Mayo from their 2020 album called Cycles. It's a classic cover of the Backstreet Boys, Tearing Up My Heart. All right, and our good friend, Denny Moran, he is the official spokesman for the unofficial Lipscomb Alumni Podcast, and he's here to deliver the official disclaimer about this podcast. 
Danny, go ahead. I am not an elected representative of Lipscomb University. I am not an employee of Lipscomb University. I am no way sponsored or endorsed by Lipscomb University. This podcast has no affiliation with the school, the administration, the faculty, staff, students, ETC. My only affiliation is that I am an alum of the school. I do not receive any funding or compensation from Lipscomb University, its donors, or any entity. The podcast represents the views and opinions of Andrew Glass and my guests on the show. The content here is for entertainment purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this show are my own and my guests and do not reflect or represent that of Lipscomb University in any way. Thank you, Denny. And now we can go ahead and move on into the interview. First, we've got a little intro music from her. And the song is I Used to Know Her. Here's part two of my interview with Rachel Miller Thompson. But if I'm next to you, I'm looking forward to just laying in this bed. Get so promise you'll never let go. I don't want no one else. So we should be chilling back. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So tell me that, tell me that. Tell me on the best I am. I'll be feeling like yes, I am. I am. You know I'm the best I am. Be a fool and not take me as I I mean, th- just the, the horrible thing is that we forgot about Jennifer. I you know. Yeah, this, she, that will she was my quest team leader. She's so, Aww. so great. She is great. Love Jennifer Hickman till the day I die. Me too. Mama Hickman. <laughs> so. The uh, communication thing, you got to graduate because you got, you know, uh, you got grandfathered into to old daddy band-aids <laughs> well, reg- I mean, curriculum. Please tell me what his name was. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But like, as you were kind of knowing you were going to graduate and you kind of had the reality show TV thing in mind earlier in college, like what were you thinking was going to happen after school? Were you stressed out? Were you worried? Like, how am I going to get a job or anything like that? I know. But I guess maybe that's sort of my mantra in life anyways. I don't really worry about the next step. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I truly did think that I wanted, like, I thought I was going to be a reality TV show host, like all until the very end. And then um, I had to spend some time in the newsroom, mm-hmm. whatever newsroom it was, it was like out um, white bridge, like whatever that one is. I don't I feel like that's the one. I feel like that's news channel five that Casey ended up. Yeah. That one. Like that's a, the same one. Yeah. Being a host TV host for. Mm-hmm. So I, in fact, Casey and I had to go and do this together and she ended up getting a, a producer's job like from the thing that we did like she got like an assistant producer's job from this like time that we spent in the newsroom together mm-hmm. and um I hated it it was awful and I knew that was like the outlet I knew that was where I had to start and it was so depressing um they just listened to these like news scanners all day and they would turn it up 
if it was like fire or someone kidnapped or I don't know, all these really awful things. And then they, if it wasn't anything good, they would just turn it back down. And it was like, everybody was so cranky and rude and <laughs> I hated it. And there were no windows. And it was, I just, I was like, this is not that I'm not taking this route. And yeah. um, so shortly at, well, I maybe had already started working for, um, Ryan had already gotten me a job like my senior year working for Regina. Ryan Smith. Yeah, Ryan Smith. Yes. Yeah. Working for more casting. Regina Moore. More casting. Mm-hmm. Now, I've always been puzzled by this whole relationship. You know, like, who the heck is Regina Moore and her casting stuff? How did Ryan even get involved? You know, suddenly all these music videos need to happen and like Ryan Carter showing up in this brad paisley video oh, yeah. and then yeah i remember that yeah like i think my junior year i want to say ryan got me and some other guys into a garth brooks video and it was Probably. just like it was all very like kind of strange oh, I think I was even there for that one yeah it was uh, like over at this like little place by the titan stadium yeah i think i i think i checked everyone in for that yeah, I went with like Chris Binkley maybe and Travis Littleton. And, um, you know, it's just like a lot of standing around and just like kind of being in the crowd. But like all to say, I, I was never really clear on, I, I guess that's what they did. Like if they needed music video, like, you know, background audience or they needed people. I always feel like the CMAs was big. I feel like everybody got to go to the CMAs with Ryan or like be in the yeah. so show. She... The CMAs, how her like role with that, I don't know if she still does it, was that she she cast the red carpet. So you could not be like on the side of the red carpet unless you went through her for mm-hmm. casting. So people would go to the check-in booth and I was the person that would check their ID and you know make sure they had the email or whatever. And then a lot of times she would tell me where to tell them to stand. And then I would like kind of guide them there. And then she was in charge of like keeping them there, telling them what to do or whatever. But um, so she did her biggest thing that was involved with, with country music was, you remember that show with the CMG Crossroads? Mm-hmm. Um, so she cast, she cast for the audience for those shows. So anytime that show aired, the only way you could be in the audience for that show was through her. Um, and, and that, that was Crossroads like, hey, we got a pop star and a country person doing a thing together. Yeah. So I did, I worked Robert Plant and Allison Krause, Maroon 5 and Sarah Evans, Alan Jackson and somebody, um, Death Leopard and Taylor Swift. Like there was like, I, I worked a bunch of those. It's an interesting um, one. Mm-hmm. They were and they were pretty fun. Um, I would assume like having Ryan's connections at a university full of young, beautiful girls was great for this casting thing because I mean, nobody like, else really took him up on it though. Like, I mean, he's you know he he his personality was 
<laughs> you either loved him or he aggravated you to death. And so right. I don't know how many other girls took him up on this opportunity. And sometimes he would aggravate me to death too, but I still loved him. Like we were really close. But um Well, just I, mean, not the opportunity to be like your role in the company. I'm I really meant just like be in the TV shots. Oh, yeah. You know what like, I mean? Like, like like claim to fame or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because it'd be like, hey, Regina, I've got an endless roster here of girls from Lipscomb who can come fill this audience shot, you know? I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was him that didn't utilize more pretty girls or if it was, I don't really know why that wasn't more of a thing. I remember Ashley Day worked for her too. That might've been after you. Yes, that, yes, I think she came in after me. Um, In fact, I think I recommended maybe I recommended Ashley. I don't know. I really can't remember. Did you like get to meet some of the artists and like, were you ever like starstruck or anything like that? Yeah. So, so this is sort of a jaunt um, <laughs> for like to that. So my best friend, one of my best friends in high school, um, Jamie, she married the lead singer from the band Hinder. Do you remember that band? Hinder? Tinder? Hinder, H-I-N-D-E-R, Hinder. Were they like a rock band? Yeah, they, they their their hit was that Lips of an Angel song. Do you remember that song, Lips of an Angel? Not, lips oh, angel. on the lips of the angel. Yeah. Something. Yeah, they were yeah. like Nickelback kind of or something? Yes. So she married the lead singer. Um, okay. And in 2007, when they were still pretty popular, um, and he... Um, his name was is Austin. His name's Austin. Um, was really good friends with Kid Rock. They would write together. And um, she calls me this one time. She's like, I'm in Nashville. Come see me. They were staying downtown. She's like, we're just going to have a regular night. Like, we're going to go to the movies. Like, old times. Um, come pick me up. So I pull up to pick her and Austin up. And she's like, forget it. Uh, we're going to end this in this limo. And we're going to Bobby Ritchie's house. I was like, who's? Who is Bobby Ritchie? She's like, oh, Bobby Ritchie, don't ask me any questions, you know? And so she's like, I gave you a swimsuit. Well, she lives in LA and she's like this scantily clad person. And so this is the tiniest swimsuit on earth that she's brought me to put on. And so we're pulling up to this house. And in my national standards, it wasn't a huge house. Like it wasn't like alarmingly, yeah. you know. Like it wasn't like a gated people. community. Yeah. Yeah, and like in Jonesboro, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a big house. But it wasn't like anything that struck me as like we're meeting an extremely famous person. So we walk in and I'm like, whose house is this? And she's like, oh my gosh, Kid Rock. I about died. And so <laughs> she's like, don't embarrass me. So I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be all these people. It was literally Kid Rock, my friend and her husband. And this was probably like, like she got married, I think in August of 2007. So this was probably like September of 2007. Yeah. Um, and so we walk in and it's just Austin, Jamie, me and Kid Rock at his house. And was it awkward? Yes. And we're going swimming. And so we're in his pool. And then my friend and her husband are newlyweds and they're like, make the corner of the pool and kid rock and i are just on this float to like hanging out like like together yes 
wow. in his school. He's asking me all these questions like, what do you do? Like, and he was very interested in me, like not like as a person, you know what I mean? Like yeah, he was yeah. asking questions. Like he wasn't he was being so, like weird. No, it was a yeah. very lovely conversation. And so, um, but it was really awkward because there's my best friends making out at the other end of this pool. Um, and we were just hanging out in the club, like, what's up? I mean, that was like an hour. And so we leave, you know, I leave. He was so pleasant and polite and a wonderful host. And um, so fast forward to a couple of months later to where now I'm working for Regina and we do um, the casting for VH1 behind the scenes for Kid Rock. So I didn't always get to meet the people. Like if I did, it would be like Regina would say, this is my assistant, yada, yada. And that was it. You know, I didn't get to talk to him. Mm -hmm. But so we go into the hospitality room um, because I had to go get my headset and stuff. And he stops and looks at me like, I know, you know, this is Kid Rock. He stops and looks at me like, I know I'm supposed to know her. You know, like we had this connection like we sat on a float for an hour in my pool and he looked at me like like he knew he should have known me and I you know and I kind of you know waved at him and then a a little bit later he came back through and I you know I walked up and I said you know I'm Austin's friend and he's like oh that's right I knew I recognized you or whatever um at that show so I my interaction with Kid Rock was both related to Regina and then not, but, um, so I met him twice. (laughs) Yeah. Which was pretty funny. Did he have like, did he have like weird, was his house decorated weird? No, it was very nice. And he had beautiful skin. Like his, like his, (laughs) just like he was, he, and I thought he'd be really grungy, like dirty looking, but his hair was well kept. Like you could tell he had it like a stylist or someone that did his color and his, like, he probably got like, facials like he was a beautiful man <laughs> hmm. are you a fan of his music i mean who doesn't like the ball with the ball i mean who doesn't like- <laughs> <laughs> i loved all the head banging you just did for right. that you can't, you can't not to- yeah. yeah love it love it <laughs> so you did that for a little bit and then what what kind of made you decide like hey, i think i need to get back to arkansas so i I did. I was doing that. I was working for her. Um, and the hours would vary. So some weeks I would work like 50 hours for her. And then some weeks I would work 12. So I ended up having to work three jobs just to like pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working for her and then I was working for Brushfire Pottery. Mm-hmm. And then I was working the early shift at the YMCA, YMCA in Green Hill. So I would open, um, like it, I would have to be there at like four 15 and we would open at four 30 in the morning. Jeez. Um, and, and so a funny thing about that is, um, so Vince Gill is one of the regulars. I don't know if he is now, but he used to be one of the regular people that would come in like right when we would open in the morning. Yeah. And, and my first week I was trained, like, no one gets in without doing their badge, you know, like clicking the yeah. whatever their card their, they have to do yeah. their, ID their membership card. Yes. And so I was pretty strict about that. Show me your membership card, whatever. And so, 
um, I did not recognize Vince Gill my first week. And so he comes in and I said, I'm sorry, sir, do you have your membership card? And he goes, no. <laughs> I said, well, let me just type your name in. And he yeah. says, Gill. Said, okay, what's your first name? And he just looked at me and I was like, never mind. <laughs> you're, okay. you're good. You can go. Bye. And so, so after that, you know, he would come in multiple times a week and, you know, you just wave him on or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you then, never, you never like talk, talk to him. No. No. And <laughs> he's super, he's super nice guy. I was I mean, really embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're probably half asleep, you know? I mean, how are you going to recognize anyone at 4.30 yeah. in the morning? So. Yeah. Man, you were like, I mean, you were dedicated, like working maybe all those hours with Regina, getting up, you know, to be there at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. That's there a were, lot. There weren't that many days where I did all three jobs. There was, I can remember two times in particular where I went to work at 4.30 and then like worked a show out at, out in Franklin at whatever that place is called with like the water tower. What is it? The factory? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked a show out there and that's the only time that, well, there's two times with one of the um, few times that I can remember working all three jobs was that day. Um, like all three jobs in one day was that day. And it was the day we did um, Maroon 5 and Sarah Evans. Mm-hmm. And Normally she liked me to wear all black, but for whatever reason, I had like pink pants on. I forgot my black pants. And so I had to go back to the little um, booth where you get the the headsets and stuff. And so I was walking back there and this guy walks past me and we have on the exact pink. And he's like, I like your pants. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I mean, they're the same pants. Well, it turns out it was the drummer from room five and we were wearing the same pants. <laughs> Wow. So were they women's pants? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> hey, if, if you got the waist size as a guy, go, go for it, man. You know, mm-hmm. do it. Um, so what the brush fire pottery, that, that's like one of those um, like come in and like make make some pots like mm-hmm. it's kind of like an art place. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you paint you paint your own pottery and then they fire it. Yeah. There's like a collection. Did they have like little parties of women come in there and drink wine and make oh, pottery? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a lot. That happened a lot. And there was a couple people, famous people that would come in there. Um, like Martina McBride came in one time. Um, but I, I got, I don't know if I got her stuff mixed up or someone else did, but I was the one that had to hand it to her. Mm-hmm. And she, um, so she got like the wrong thing. <laughs> and so she was really mad <laughs> because she got pottery that was not hers. And then Ben Folds would bring his kids in all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was pretty nice. I, Isn't that brush fire pottery? That's, um, was that in that strip in Green Hills kind of like back behind where the. Place? Wasn't it like where the Papa John's was or something? Yeah. Kind of back, back in there. Behind yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Right behind right behind Royal Arms. There's a fence backed up to Royal Arms. Okay. So you're doing all three of these jobs. You're, you know, working like crazy. Are you living with Pi Delta people or Lipscomb people? Yes. I well, for part of that time. Um it is 
I was living with Brooke Jamerson mm-hmm. and then Lindsay Harris, and we were living in Rouen, so we were living in an S. Um, I can't remember when Kate, Katie Rybeck had lived with us too, but I can't remember when she moved out. Um, but then I transitioned out of rural arms and I moved into this tiny efficiency on the back of this house on Belmont's campus. And I was living alone, um, towards the end, like right, probably for the last six months I lived in Nashville, I was living alone in this really tiny efficiency in a really shady alley. <laughs> wow. I'm really surprised that nothing happened to me. I'm surprised no one attacked me. It's a miracle I'm alive today. A true miracle. No, what, really? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I can there. I can remember there being like little shady areas, like kind of through there and 12 South. Like, I mean, not today, but back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think Beaumont since it was owned, the property was owned by Beaumont, and I think since they've torn it down in its campus, but um, okay. yeah, it was just this, like the back of this house of the alley. Oh, it was, it was rough. <laughs> so what, what was kind of leading you to move back to Jonesboro? Were you just getting sick of the jobs on uh, like not feeling like you're ne- making enough money? Yeah. I just felt like, um, I felt like if I was going to pursue the entertainment industry, there, I just, there needed to be more. And I just didn't know if I was ready to commit to like, it was so cutthroat. And at the time I heard, like, I just had friends who were like, this is an industry where at the age of 30, you're done. Like, you know, I just didn't know if I wanted to work my tail off for an industry that was going to be so relentless and, you know, unforgiving. Um, you didn't want to become Regina. I didn't. I didn't want to be stuck in a world. Like, I really felt like I would have been stuck there. Like, I felt like it just wasn't enough of us, like a stronghold or like a foot in the door. And um, I just, it just wasn't what I was wanting. But also, I was really broke. I was really poor. Even though I had three jobs, I had nothing to show for it. And um, I started dating my high school boyfriend um, again, and he lived in Little Rock. Um, And so, there is um, a it's like a boutique um, school. It's the Clinton School of Public Service. It's in Little Rock, um, and I had decided this this particular school had only been in place for like three years. It was a brand new school, um, and so I had decided that I wanted to apply to the Clinton School, and so I geared up to to go to Little Rock and live. My boyfriend lived there. And I was waitlisted for the school, but the like admissions director or officer had um, said, we only accept 50 people every year and thousands of applicants and you are number one on our waitlist. Like someone's going to drop out. You're going to get in, like be prepared to move to Little Rock. Yeah. Um, and so I was, and I packed up my stuff and I was ready to move. And then I didn't get in. So, um, at that point, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was, however old you are, right after college, I don't know, it was like a year out of college. And You're probably like 22, 23, 24, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was probably, yeah, I think I was probably like 23. And, um, 
that relationship with with my with that boyfriend from high school ended up being um really just an awful relationship it wasn't um he was abusive mentally not I mean at times physically but it wasn't really consistent um yeah so we had somehow rekindled I don't even remember how we rekindled but um but yeah so I was dating my high school boyfriend he was which was all like even in high school it was a weird relationship because he was five years older than me already so I was like 17 he was four years older than me so um so he was out of college when I was dating him in high school um which was kind of odd yeah it was odd it was strange um and I'm really surprised my parents let it allowed it to happen to be honest but um so anyways he was already like fully immersed in like the adult life at this point so I was 23 he was 28 you know um he was I don't know it was it was just a lot of draw like I thought okay this is I'm gonna live the adult life I've got an adult boyfriend whatever but um it it really ended up being a very abusive relationship and looking back I I I did feel stuck when you're in an abusive relationship you feel stuck you feel like embarrassed like um especially at that point in my life too, where I was already embarrassed about other things. Like I was embarrassed that I had a college degree and did not have a job. You know, I was embarrassed that I came home and, um, I was really living out of my, um, dad and stepmom's basement because my, my mom and stepdad had moved to Arizona at that point. Um, because my stepdad got transferred with the FAA. So, um, I was already like at a time in my place or a time and place in my life where I felt like a burden of the real world and like that eyes are on me and that I wasn't amounting to what was expected of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't going to tell anybody that, you know, this, this man was breaking me. Um, because you, you, you wanted to like, have the perception that like you had it all together, you're living the adult life, you Mm -hmm. got the, you know, established, stable boyfriend and things are going good. Yeah. So I ended up just taking a job at a boutique, a local boutique of a woman that I know forever. Um, Because my minor was fashion merchandising. And so I felt like, well, if I don't do anything with communications, at least I'm using fashion merchandising. But um, so... I ended up living with my younger sister, my, my stepsister, we ended up living in this apartment, but she is five years younger than me. And so she was living all, she was living the life that I had just come out of. You know what I mean? Like she was living the life of partying and staying up all night and mm-hmm. not the life that I was like going towards. Um, and so we ended up having a huge blow up because like one night, like I had, stayed at like my boyfriend's house or something and then I come back and like she had this huge party and there were like five people in my bed and someone had thrown up in it and so oh god and yeah. so I can't do it and she would like steal my clothes and I and like her friends would steal my clothes and her house was always gross and so she and I ended up just butting heads like huge blood and we had always been really close um yeah. so we had this giant blow up and she was like well you have to move out 
And I said, okay, well, I'll move out at the end of the month. And um, it was like June 25th or something. And I guess I didn't clarify to her that I'm in the next month. And so she thought I was moving out in like five days. Yeah. So her friends started moving in like four days later and they were like pulling my stuff out, like throwing it on the, like the porch of this apartment. They're like, no, you got to get out. She's already, um, like she's already paid a deposit. Like you got to, like, we did not, my sister and I did not talk for a long time after this. Like it was a, it was a big deal. Um, so she kicked me out and, um, I didn't have any, like, I really didn't have anywhere to go at that point. Cause my, my dad and my stepmom had a toddler. Um, and then my other sister living at home. And so there really wasn't room for me. Um, what happened with the basement, that house, did they sell it? No, they, they just ended up changing it into like a workout room or something. So like, it wasn't a, there just wasn't any more space. But yeah, there wasn't yeah. anywhere for me to live. And so, um, I was, I kind of felt like I was homeless and it just so happened that like the same, my boyfriend's roommate was like, I'm moving out. And so I really never thought that I would like live with anyone. I mean, I did love him, but I never thought I would live with anyone. And I just kind of like all the things aligned. And so I ended up moving in with him. You mean live with someone before you're married? Yeah. 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 And so, um, I was super naive and did not realize that he was selling pot, (laughs) which I mean, who doesn't know that? Like, who doesn't figure that out? He was a pot dealer. I had no idea. That was like his main like source of income. No, he had a legit job. Um, yeah, he had a legit job and, um, like he was working for Merrill Lynch and, um, but I just had no idea. man by day, drug dealer by night. Right? Yeah. So, um, anyways, How did you find out? Like, was it like, did you find the I, pot? I, I, well, I knew he smoked occasionally. That wasn't, like, that was not the issue. Like, I knew he smoked pot occasionally, but I had no idea that, like, like, the extent of it. Um, but... Anyway, so we've been living together for a while and I was still going to church and I would, I would like, he would sometimes come with me and he'd be like, yeah, I want to go, whatever. But in my mind, I thought it was like, I, I thought I was like healing him. You know what I mean? Like making, like making him better, even though he was making me feel bad about myself constantly. Um, and then this one particular night he got really high and really drunk and was yelling obscenities at me and was really angry and was like trying to break up with me. And um, we like, I are like, we lived in this loft apartment and he followed me up the stairs. And I, funny enough, I had on a Pied Elsa hoodie and he grabbed me by the hood and pulled me down the stairs um, and then was like choking me. So, I get out like like, with by still hanging onto the hood or like actually like with his hands. Oh, okay. Wow. And so, um, I, I like run out, I grab my keys. I have no shoes on or anything. And so I'm running out the door and I get in my car and he has like stripped all of his clothes off in the meantime. 
and is naked in the street and hops onto my car and then punches um, my windshield and like shatters the whole thing. Wow. So I'm like, that's panicking. a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. So I'm panicking. I like go to my dad's house and I, I sit there and. So you um, were able to like drive away. Yeah. I, I don't really know how because the whole windshield was shattered. Um, and so I go to my dad's house. We sit there and then he's calling me and he's telling me sorry and that um, he wants that. He's like, I'm sorry, I did this to you, the love of my life, whatever. And he's like, I'm going to kill myself because of what I've done, what I've done. And so um, that's like a surreal moment because that's when you know that you really are an abusive relationship. But I, I mean, like looking back, that was like red flag, like, like, you know, like get out, <laughs> you know, because not only has he been absolutely crazy, but now he's like trying to make himself look like the victim. But at the time, you didn't understand all of that. No. Yeah. No. So um, at the time, were you like, oh, my gosh, like, this guy's going to kill himself yes. because of me? Yes. And so I was even more upset. And so I ended up calling his parents. But my dad called the police. Um, and so the police ended up at our, apart our apartment and asking me if I wanted to press charges. And I was like, no. And. And then his parents show up and it was, it was just such an awful ordeal. And then, um, uh, I really don't remember what happened, like in the next few weeks or whatever, I didn't go back, but all my stuff was still there, but I didn't go back. I ended up like sleeping, like on the couch at my parents' house or something. Um, but he kept begging me to take him back. I'm going to change. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be the man you want me to be, you know, all the things that I, that you, you know, he, he knew I wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. So, um, I went back and he was like, we're, we're engaged. He was like, I'm going to go pick out a ring. He was like, we're unofficially engaged, you know? And I'm, so we looked at rings. Like I thought, okay, we're going to get married. You know, this is going to be great. He's going to church with me. Um, so we started going to church regularly, mm -hmm. even though we were still living together. And then we, and then Wait, I, so you, you moved know, back in. Yeah. I moved back in. Yeah. With him. And so, um, we were meeting with my preacher and he was like, you guys cannot be living together and like engage. Like you can't, this is not healthy. You shouldn't do this. And, um, and then he was talking about like, like he was like, you guys should not be sexual, you know, all of these things. And he was just laying it on like, like any preacher would, you know? And, and so, but my boyfriend at the time was agreeing. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. And so like six months go by and, um, he was very distant, very cold, like would not come, like sometimes he wouldn't come home at night. Like it just got to where the relationship was really depressing. Um, and I was depressed and, and we still had not like, gotten engaged, you know, and it was like six months later and I come home from work one night and I open up his computer and then porn pops up and I'm like, okay. And at this point there, there was like no sexual aspect of our relationship at all. Like nothing, like, you know what I mean? Like holding hands, nothing. Um, and so he, 
like he comes home and then he opens up his computer and I'm like, and, and that starts playing. And I said, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about, like, about that. I, that really bothers me that you would be doing this. And he was like, well, you might as well hear it now. I'm not attracted to you. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. So at this point we dated for like a year. And then at this point I had even in college. And then this was like two years. So this is like four, like collectively. I mean, like over an extended time, it was almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, like nine. And he's like, I am not attracted to you at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. Like, like you repulse me. <laughs> That's what he said. Yes. And huh. I, I just kind of looked at him and I was like, like, we can't come back for this, like from this, I'm going to walk away and this is over. Like we have, we, this isn't going to work. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And he was like, that's, that's fine. Go ahead. And so I walked out of that apartment and I really don't even know what I did after that because it was like such a dark cloud. Like he broke me. Um, and I, I remember I had someone else get my stuff and I ended up moving in with my aunt. Um, and I really don't remember much about what happened in my, like in my life that time, at that point. Um, I was so, I mean, there's really no other word for it. I was so broken. Um, I was depressed. I was angry. I was angry at God. You know, I was, um, law, I was lost. And I definitely wasn't going to go to church and I definitely was not going to pray about it, you know? Right. Um, so. Well, let me ask you something here. Like as you kind of look back on it so far, and I know you've done like a ton of healing and like searching and, and refinding yourself and like loving yourself. But like, what are, Obviously, like there's some big things that happen that you're talking about, like getting pulled down the stairs or getting choked or any of those things are big like moments. But like when you look back on it and, you know, if you were like advising or like giving others counsel around like toxic relationships, like what are the little things that, you know, you kind of look back on and you're like this little thing that I thought was just a little thing at the time, like you know, now I would see that as like big flag, get out, you know, like what those little kind of micro things. Um, probably just the most consistent little thing probably was anytime something happened where we argued, um, and he ended up hurting me. The second I like it hurt he would tell me what he, like, what I, what he thought I wanted to hear. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, mm -hmm. it, so it was like narcissistic. It was controlling. So it was like, even though he hurt me, it was like, I'm so sorry. And, you know, it was like, it was like coddling. I don't know how to explain. Like, yeah. the little, the, the consistency was, it was never like, 
please forgive me. It was never like acts of love. It was always like. Sounds like it's some of those things like I'm going to do better. Signs of manipulation. You know what I mean? The yeah, signs yeah. Of, like not like saying that I'm going to fix this problem because that's what you want to hear, but then not ever doing it. So like mm-hmm. after five or six times of him saying, oh, well, I'm not. I'm not going to do this or I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to come home this night or whatever. And seven times later, him telling me, Oh, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to, I'm going to treat you better, but then not doing it. You know, you know what I mean? Like the pattern of saying, Oh, I know I hurt you, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. But then never, never changing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you want to believe it. Like you're yeah. entrenched in the belief of mm-hmm. like, this is your life and the person you're going to spend it with. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that was, um, and I don't know. And it, and sometimes you cloud that too, though, like looking back, I don't know if you can always notice it um, because you build up this, like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like facade, you know, when you put on a face. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like, did you talk to other people about it? Like parents or anything? You just, you just kept no. it like, no. all in. I just kept it. Yeah. I just kept it in. Yeah. Um, Which I'm sure creates a ton of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was ashamed. Um, and also I was hopeful. I mean, I, I'm a hopeful person. So truly I really did hope that it would change. Mm-hmm. Um, so ended up where, we, we ended that relationship and then I was in such a dark place that, um, I met this guy <laughs> who he was cute. He was nice. He was, um, like a well-to-do person. Like it's someone that I had known, like I had known him as a child cause he lived in my neighborhood, but he was four or five years older than me. And, um, so we never had any interactions or anything like that, but he took so much interest in me. I'd gone to this like political fundraiser for a local guy that was running for like, state representative or something. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up meeting this guy and he was going out of his way, like to sit by me and like get me drinks and um, ask for my number. And, but I didn't give it to him. Um, and then it turns out as I'm leaving, I see my ex-boyfriend and I had not seen him in months. Um, and he's at this party. And so I speak to him and he makes this huge show at this party about, um, like why I didn't talk to him. He's like yelling at me in front of all these people, like dropping the F-bomb, like just really embarrassing me. Um, and he's like, you've spent more time with Kent, which is the guy that was paying attention to me then um, anyone else. And he's like, um, I, I bet that you're, you're such a slut that you're just going to go be with him or whatever. And, and so at that point I was furious. I was over it. And I was like, maybe I will. And so I walk right up to him and I give him my phone number. Um, and I probably would not have otherwise because he was cute, whatever, but he just wasn't, I just didn't feel a, you know, like a super connection with him. So I give him my phone number because my ex-boyfriend has basically called me a slut or no, not basically he did in front of all these people. 
Um, so anyway, so he calls me, um, Ken calls me and, um, we kind of start seeing each other. And, you know, like I said, I was never really into the relationship. Well, I was still in such a low place that I was not the person that I knew I wanted to be. Um, and so we ended up, we ended up, you know, we ended up sleeping together and I ended up getting pregnant. Hmm. Um, but what was so weird is that the night that it happened, it was like, I had this like of like, this is not who I want to be. Like, what am I doing? You've got to pull yourself together. Like, I remember like, like, like basically like smacking myself and being like, you are not this person. Mm-hmm. Get up, walk away from this. And so I like literally like crawled on my hands and knees, like out of the room. And like it's like three in the morning, and like got in my car and drove home. It's like, I'm done. Like, get your shit together, you know? Yeah. Like, this is who are you? Like, don't like it was just like this moment where I was like, all right, pick yourself up off the floor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is literally the night that your daughter is conceived. Yeah. Wow. And so I was like, I don't even really like this guy. Why did I do that? Like, what, like, what is wrong with me? And so I was like, just walk away from this. This is not who you are. Don't mm-hmm. like get, get your. So at that point, I was like, you gotta go back to church. <laughs> like, you've you got to you know, you, you, you had to clean your act together. And I like swore off men. I was like, this is it, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, I was feeling a lot better. Um, not healed, but I was feeling a lot better. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I ended up coming, ended up was like, I got to see my girlfriend. And so I drove to Nashville that weekend and stayed in the house with, it was like, Yordi and uh it was like Alicia Yordi and Katie Ryback and that was like the house um, out by Belmont. Yes, yeah. that house. Oh, I remember that house. Um yeah, and so I stayed there that weekend um and ended up it was it was Halloween and um we went to like some parties. I don't, I think we went to like Cannery Ballroom or something. I don't know. I was dressed as like a cupcake. Okay. <laughs> so um, the next day I was so hungover, more hungover than I'd ever been in my whole life. And I could not fight it. And I puked the whole way home. So Driving yourself, right? Oh yeah. And so oh, I showed up to, it's like a four hour drive. I showed up to work like the next day, puked At the whole the time. Clinton uh, school thing. Oh no, no, no. I never got into that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like working at this boutique. I was at this that's point, right. I'm, man- I'm managing the boutique now. I'm like the boutique manager. And so I like show up to work and I'm puking. And so I go home and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And so I like, I'm so sick for like two days. Like I don't go to work. And my dad, well, my sister was pregnant. And so my parents wouldn't let me come over because they're like, well, if you're can't be around her sister because she'll get sick and so I'm like go to the doctor so I go to the doctor I explain my symptoms and he's like you're pregnant wow I was like can I get a second opinion yeah <laughs> he said no he was like well I I we didn't do a test but you're pregnant and so he gives and he's me- like and in your mind you're like 
but but, but when? I mean, yeah. you're like, yeah. I guess, like, yeah, I, I had sex with that guy that one time. But I mean, that can't be it. Like, you're no, like, I mean, no way. Like, I was like, I, are you sure? And so he gives me, you know, we do the, the pregnancy test or whatever. And, and he, he comes out, he's like, congratulations. And I was like, what? So I sat there for a long time. And I don't really know what I was waiting for. Like, I don't know if I was waiting for him to come back with pamphlets or if I was waiting for him to come back with like, like a team of people to guide me. Like, I don't know, but I sat there for like 30 minutes and finally the nurse walks in and she was like, oh, are you still here? Like, he just missed you a long time ago. Wow. (laughs) I left and I just drove around for a really long time. Um, And then I called my mom and told my mom and. My mom was like, oh, and then she goes, praise the Lord, hallelujah, because I had told her for years that I would never have kids. And so she was like, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> so, that's, that's a great mom response. Yes, like, she, seriously. My mom is awesome. My mom is so awesome. Um, so, so then I go. My, that that had, time, but that had to have been like, of all the crazy emotions you had of to have been feeling you had to have gone well at least my mom's pumped and she's gonna help me oh you know? I, I never had it on my mom mine and my mom would it was a pretty good reaction like i got a laugh out of it yeah um, so then my dad and my stepmom at that point they used to have these sunday night dinners and their kitchen is like basically like it's the back door but it's the front door everybody uses and so i walk in and um they're like so what the doctors are you sick can you come in and I was like, well, and then my stepmom slaps her knee and she's like, the doctor said you're pregnant. And I'm like, <laughs> like just, she's like, oh, oh my gosh, you're, you're serious. So, um, that was, that was, we kept, I kept it a secret. Um, and so like told, I mean, I, I think, well, so the first person I told outside of my family was Katie Ryvick because. So when I found out I was pregnant, I deactivated my Facebook page mm-hmm. and Katie calls me within half an hour and says, what's wrong with you? Where did your Facebook page go? <laughs> she said hundreds of pictures of me just disappeared. She said, she said, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> so That's amazing. I told, her, I told her and she's like, oh my, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe this, whatever. I don't remember what she says. Um, and she was great. She didn't tell anybody. Um, yeah. True friends. Way to go, and, Katie. Yeah, way to go, Katie. <laughs> so um, outside of her, I didn't tell any, like I really, I, well, I ended up telling Brooke Jamerson because her, Katie and Brooke came to visit me right before Christmas. And, um, and so I ended up telling Brooke in person. And I really don't remember how I told anybody else, but um, I did, those two, I remember telling. And then um, Valentine's Day was the 12 week mark, um, which, you know, like statistically, you have, you know, for the chances of the baby like being healthy and making it like increase a lot after the first trimester, which is 12 weeks. And so I was going to wait to then to make any kind of decisions on telling anyone. Um, and so I was like, okay, it's time to tell, um, Kent. 
And yeah, I haven't even <laughs> thought about that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, it's time to tell, tell the him. father. Yeah. yeah. So he comes from a family of money. He comes from a family that's like a Jonesville legacy kind of. Um, they're well-to-do kind of people. Everybody kind of knows their family. They're in the spotlight in this town. And um, so my dad, I made my dad, I was like, dad, you've got to go with me. You've got to sit with me. I don't know how this is going to go. And so I call Ken. I had not talked to him at all, at all. since. Had he like, tried to talk to you? No. Like okay. we just. It was really just kind of like a one night thing. We had been seeing each other. Like we had been on several dates. Like we had hung out several times. It wasn't like I, you know, like we had probably been like dating for like yeah. a month or more. Okay. Um, but after you cr- crawled out of the bedroom at 3 a.m., he just yeah. decided <laughs> maybe yeah, she's not, not me into either. me. Yeah. yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, it was mutual. I, I would. I'd be like, well, <laughs> she definitely wasn't feeling Not that one is a loss. Like, I don't yeah. know. Um, so, <laughs> so we, uh, my dad is like driving around with me. I call Kent. He's like, oh, I can't meet with you right now. And he just kind of kept blowing me off. I'm like, well, how about this time? He's like, ah, tonight's not good. And I'm like, listen, I really got to talk to you. And so my dad's like driving around with me. But my dad, being the criminal defense attorney it is, he's like playing the devil, the, dev- the devil's advocate. And so my dad is like yelling at me, like like he's playing Kent. And he's like, you're a gold digger. You're a what you're a whore like what are you doing I don't want anything to be like he's being my dad was being so mean to me <laughs> so I'm bawling yeah. and that's like toughen up toughen up no tears <laughs> right. like get it together you can't cry this is a business transaction <laughs> yeah. we need the money <laughs> no it wasn't I know I know and so um yeah and so um so I go, but anyways, my dad was like, I'm going to bed. This guy's like jerking you around. Like he's not, he's, I'm not wasting my time on him. And so I ended up going in by myself and telling him like nine o'clock on like a Tuesday night or something that I was pregnant and he really didn't say much. He was like, okay, well, all right. I mean, that was really it. And then I left. Um, and then I Threw up all the way home. <laughs> kind of a um, c- kind of a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like nerves at this point. Yeah. Like it was just, um, and then I went and stayed with my grandmother, and then um, from there it was like, okay, like he had a girlfriend. I mean, it mm-hmm. was it was a weird situation. Um, so I. Oh, I don't know what's happening. Sorry. Um, at that point, my dad had a condo that had just come up, like he rented. And so um, I moved out with my of my aunt's house and I moved into this condo by myself um, and then continued to work at the boutique and really just kind of became a recluse. You know, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't go anywhere. Did not. I didn't do anything. Um, what did you feel? Did you feel like I'm a failure or something? Did oh you like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. And I've kept I kept a journal during that time, and 
I have not gone back and looked at the, the, like my writings because I'm so afraid to like reflect on it because I've never really reflected on those. So it would have been like, um, like 20, it would have been like 28 weeks. There was like 28 weeks where I was living alone, just going to work and going home. Like that was it. Um, by myself and I was really poor. So I didn't have internet. I didn't have cable. Um, and I was also ashamed of the fact that I was really poor. So like, I didn't tell any, I didn't tell my parents that I had no. (laughs) So I was ashamed that I was poor. I was ashamed that I was not fulfilling my college degree. And then I was pregnant and single. So it was like triple whammy on the, you know, on my life. Um, which is so, you know, I, I think it's just so interesting that like we come from this place, i.e. the church or Lipscomb or, you know, Christian family where like at the heart of that is, Hey, if you're in a need or you're in trouble, like reach out, don't be afraid. But it's so interesting that in these circles we grow up in, like, even though that's, logically what we should do there's this thing going off in us that's like don't show weakness don't burden people don't make your problem their problem I felt like I was a burden I really did and I was there I was so ashamed there was no way I was going to go to church there was no way like I went to church one time with my aunt and I almost had an anxiety attack I thought Oh my gosh, these people are going to know. They're going to know. They're going to know that I'm like a pregnant woman, unmarried with no boyfriend. Like they're going to know these, these people are going to know these. And, you know, and at that point I was like, I wasn't even associating myself with my church family. It was like these people, like, I didn't even feel like I was a part of my church family. Mm. Um, And it was, it was so, it was a humbling experience, truly. Um, on this side of it, like going, you know, in the healthy place that you're in now, like if you could even transport yourself back to talk to yourself, like, would you be like, don't be afraid to, to ask people to like, pray for you. Yeah. Any of that. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask for prayers. Like I was afraid to even ask for people to be like, pray for my baby. Like I was, I was ashamed to ask for that. Yeah. Um, and absolutely. Like if, if, a, if a, a single woman came to me that was pregnant now and was like, pray for me, I was like, right now, girl, you know, like, yeah. let's get on our feet. Like, yeah, what else do you need? Let me give you like whatever I have, you know, give you a meal, or something, something, yeah. come sit mm-hmm. down at my table. I will brush your hair and rub your feet. Like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are, and it would not even, I mean, even reaching out to even, you know, my girlfriends, like I've just been talking about, like, I know if that they're probably listening to this now and not even realizing like what I went through, because it's something that I've really never shared with very many people, yeah. but, um, and, at the, and they're going, you could have, you could have reached out. They went, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like, why didn't you probably like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. Um, but so the pregnancy, um, was lonely. And then can't, you know, he, he, I mean, he was, 
on board to say that he would step in and be a father figure. Um, but we, he, we, he had a girlfriend and we were not going to be in a relationship. We were just going to co-parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once she was born, um, we ended up having a relationship. And so we ended up, like I kept my condo, but I was basically living with him. And this is, this is going to get really twisted here in a second. So <laughs> I kept my condo. I was living with him. We were in a relationship for, for about, I don't know, four or five months, probably not, maybe three months. And everything seemed to be going really well. Like she was like three or four months old. And then all of a sudden he broke up with me and was like, served me with papers, like out of nowhere. Like didn't say, he didn't even say I broke up with you. He just said, hey, don't you want to go back to your condo tonight? And then the next day I was served with papers stating like our. Like a custody. Yeah. Like a parental custody. Like out of nowhere it wasn't I broke up with you this is this it was hey don't you want to go home where I had not slept in months Mm -hmm. and then bam here's these papers yeah and he Uh, was trying to take full custody no he was trying to do split custody and not pay me anything at all he was Uh, trying to like nothing he said he would pay for diapers yeah (laughs) and so my dad the attorney is like this is bull crap. You know, he's like, don't sign it. Give it to me. So we end up. Yeah. I don't not- really think Kent thought that one through with your dad being an attorney. No, I didn't think that one. So, through so we end up, well, let me pause for a second because later I found out the reason he even did all this is because he was cheating on me with the nanny. <laughs> wow. The <laughs> so, nanny. It's always a problem. Yeah. She was like 20 and really gorgeous. Um, so anyway, so hind- like later on, all that comes out that he was shooting on me with Manny, which is why all this stuff, like why he decided to do the custody, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so dad is like, don't sign that. And he's like, if he thinks that's how it's going to play, then we're going to play this game. So dad draws up these papers, has him served. We're suing him. And then Kent's like, calls me and he's like, I can't believe you had you know, we served with these papers and that you're suing me. Well, forget it. I'm not going to be involved in her life. Never mind. And like, don't talk to me. And then I'm like, call my dad. I'm like, dad, I can't do this because Kent's not going to be in her life. And he says, dad's like, no, I'm your dad. I'm an attorney. You need to listen to me. This is the best thing. And so I don't listen to my dad. I ended up tearing up those papers and like, not going with what Kent said, but like I ended up contacting a mediator and we ended up sitting down and like developing some paperwork, which I felt like was fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, yeah, I was still in such a broken place that I really didn't stand up for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like now. I I wish I would have had someone who wasn't my dad, who wasn't aggressive, who wasn't like, and I know he was being like good hearted about it. You know what I mean? But it wasn't right. what I wanted, but I wish I had someone that was like an advocate. For me, you know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. for like what, because like I you just, just kind of had somebody there to like do a job. Yeah. Just, and I, and I was not strong enough to stand up for myself. Right. Like I just wasn't 
I just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like, it wasn't a bad deal. Like, the mediator made everything pretty fair, I guess. But um, it definitely was not anywhere in my favor. So, anyways, when that happened, Kent Oko now, okay, so now he's on board. He's ready to be the dad. And then my dad doesn't talk to me for six months. <laughs> Mm. so that was really rough too so the first year of jolie's life well, remember really he tried to make you tough <laughs> he, he was did. just he preparing for yeah. you not to yeah. talk to him yeah so he so the first year of jolie's life was really rough um because there was all that or whatever but um and you're still I, working at the boutique still no i um after that first year decided I wanted to go back to school. So that first year I was, I, I, I really kind of stayed within myself. Like I really focused on being a mom. I focused on who I wanted to be. Like it was a very soul searching time Mm -hmm. because not only was I living for myself now, but now I had this daughter that I had to be the example for. And then I, I wanted to like leave a legacy for, Mm -hmm. um, so after a year, um, I decided I was going to go back to school and I was going to be a teacher. Um, so I started working. What, what was calling you to that specific thing? Like, why were you like, hey, light bulb education is where I need to be? Um, I'm just honestly going to chalk it up to God at this point because I was so, I had finally found my prayer life again. I had not, I wasn't going, I wasn't going back to church regularly. Like I would go back to church, but I would sit by myself. I wouldn't talk to anybody. Um, like I would sneak in and sneak out. You know what I mean? I was like a balcony back row sitter. Like I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like, um, the only people that would know I was there or like the people that I would, I would take Jolie to the nursery. Mm -hmm. Um, so like there was really no, like, Oh, that's what I want to do moment. It was not that it was, I mean, really just God kind of put it on my heart. Like, I don't have a reason. It was just sort of an idea that came up and I had begun being prayerful again. I had started to develop my relationship with God again. And um, that was just where I felt moved. Yeah. So I started from there, I started working in an alternative school, which is the school, the schools where like kid, like I don't want to say the bad kids, but it's like the bad kids go. You know, it's the, so they it's had the, behavior problems at another yeah. school. And yeah, they're not so going to they put up with them anymore. Mm-hmm. So they've yeah. been um, rejected from their public school. Yeah, and I started teaching high school English um, with some real rough kids. I mean, yeah. rough. Most of them were bigger than me, um, but I found a passion um in the students I mean like I found my passion in loving those kids who didn't have parents because 90 percent of them or more came from homes where they had they had no one um and so I guess maybe being a new mom just kind of lit that fire in me and there um the, the moment that I realized that I, I really wanted, that was what I was meant to do was there was this girl, um, like 16 
And there was this guy who was constantly talking down to her. I mean, constantly like calling her names. I mean, he was like, you see it in your classroom or just this was in my classroom. This was in my classroom. There were two of my students and he, so at the tall alternative school, like cussing is a little, I mean, it's frowned upon, but it's not like something you're going to get in trouble for. So he's like constantly (laughs) calling her like, bitch, you know, like, Mm-hmm. do what I say and at one point he walked up to her and he was like if I say nod your head you're gonna nod your head I mean this kid was like six feet tall and I literally came out of my skin and like it was an out-of-body experience and I stepped up to that 17 year old kid and I was like when you're in my classroom you're gonna do what I say don't ever talk to her like that again do you hear me and I was like you can leave and never come back to not your property. And I was like, she's not anything to own and she doesn't belong to you. And I was like, in fact, if you even look at her the wrong way, we're going to have problems. And it was like this, like emotion that like, I could not contain because I thought, no, no one, no, this, this girl, she is a child. She can't be taught to this way. She can't, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to put up with it. Like someone needs to step in and and remove her from this situation. And, and it was at that moment that I thought, okay, God has put me in this school, even if it's for that one girl, you know, to, um, to let her know that that's not okay. You know, that's not okay for her to be treated like that. And, um, and, and so from there on, I knew that I wanted to be an educator and I wanted to be an advocate for, kids that didn't have parents or kids that didn't have that person that's going to step up and be their sounding board or their person that hugs them. Um, so the next day she came back to me, her name was Elizabeth. And she came back to me. She was like, no one has ever stood up for me before. She was like, you have no idea how much that means to me. She was like, I have been wanting him to stop treating me that way for so many months. And she was like, Thank you so much. And um, I feel like maybe too, that was what? A turning point for me in my life. I feel like, you know, that out of the body, like everything, it just kind of came out. Like could also just be like all those layers of crap you have been through. Yeah. Just the abusive relationship I've been to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it w- but I just, I unleashed it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I ended up not continuing to work in the alternative school because I didn't want to work in high school. I wanted to work in elementary. Mm-hmm. So I did that for two years. And then I worked on my master's for elementary education. And I moved to an elementary school to um, work as an interventionist, which is like a um, a, a paraprofessional or an aide in the classroom that targets skills for students. Um, so you pull them out and work on reading or math or whatever. So I did that for two years mm-hmm. um, and then got my master's in elementary education. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two years ago, I took a job in a very rural school about 10 miles outside of town tiny school. And so now I am a special education teacher for kindergarten through third grade. Um, Which is not a job everybody wants. No, it's, it's a, it's a very challenging job. Um, 
special education is very challenging. Uh, what are the most common um, challenges or, or physical disabilities or mental, um, you know, learning disorders that you encounter with the students? So I am a resource teacher, um, which means that my kids are still in the regular, the general education classroom. I don't have the kids who are in self-contained. So like, I don't have the students who can't feed themselves or can't go to the bathroom by themselves or, you know, things like that. I don't have those students in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the students who um, can't read and they might be in third grade, but they're reading on a kindergarten level. Or I have the students who can't sit still. Like I've got one kid, I'm telling you, I, <laughs> he literally doesn't stop moving. And um, that's probably exhausting for him. Oh, it's he can't help it. Him. He can't help it. Yeah. And in a regular classroom, he's a distraction to others. And, you know, and so it's, it's the whole point of it, of special education is where you cater the learning environment to the student so that they can learn. It's not, okay, I'm going to give you this lesson. Go take this lesson. It's, oh, you need to stand up while you write. Oh, you need to um, have me read that to you seven times and then you understand the concept. It's, oh, you need to run around the table 25 times and then do 20 jumping jacks and then you can sit and work, you know, or... um, so you kind of you kind of can like incentivize them with like a a goal or not like a prize for like if you you can do these things and then like you can do your work. Well, like, sometimes, but sometimes it really is physically what they need. Like they yeah. physically have to do twenty five jumping jacks to get all that energy out, mm-hmm. and then and then and then that clears their mind. Whatever. Um, so like as far as like planning you have to be super flexible because the the lesson plan is never really going to go maybe how you think it's going to go you have to be kind of ready to pause and maybe oh, yeah. give attention well, here or there and i in a 30 minute span might have three lessons <laughs> mm-hmm. so i may give a mini lesson to these two students and they go and work on this. And then I may give a refresher lesson to this one student and then they work on it. And then I may have like a whole new concept that I introduced to two other students and they work on it. And so I've never, it's never my classroom and one of them, one of them may be working on math and one of them may be working on reading and one of them may be working on writing letters. You know, it's like, my classroom doesn't, it just doesn't look like You're not given a lesson to the whole classroom at once. No. And even other special education teachers, you know, they want you to sit in your desk and just teachers in general. This has become more of an outdated kind of concept though, to be honest, but older teachers, especially, they want you to sit in your desk. They want you to be still and they want you to work. But in my classroom, there's bean bags and there's, swivel stools and there's balls and there, you know, I never like if a child needs to sit on a swivel stool so that they can learn to write their names, by golly, they're gonna sit on a swivel stool <laughs> so they can learn to write their name, you know, like yeah. Whatever, whatever works. If the child is engaged in learning and they're not like beating up the student that student next to them, you know, you know, you yeah. make it work. 
Yeah. And I'm sure you still have problems on a daily basis that you have to stop and address. Like you can't oh, yeah. punch yeah. that kid. You can't no. do this. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Now at the ele- at the lower elementary level, it's really you don't really ever want to punch them. Um, <laughs> I spoke as I did, but the lower elementary level, um, most of most of them are reenacting what they see at home, mm. and so it's heartbreaking. Because yeah. um, no, you know they're modeling something that they've learned right. somewhere mm-hmm. else. It wasn't in your classroom. You didn't mm-hmm. show them how to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's heartbreaking because you know that they don't, you know, like this one kid, he was so excited. He He's a kindergartner that I have. And he was so excited to finish his worksheet. And he started going, suck my dick, suck my dick. Like, you know, I was like, what yeah. did he say? Like, yeah. what? He's in kindergarten. And he's like, yeah. what? What? Like, what did I? Like, he had no idea. You know, like he had, mm-hmm. there was no concept. And, and you know that he's hearing these things at home and it just breaks your heart because, I mean, there's just so many other layers to that. Like, yeah. You know, he hears the awful things at home and then also he's gets seconds at breakfast and seconds at lunch, you know, like it's that that could go on. But well, one thing I was going to ask you just, you know, there's so many varying opinions on education, public education and like how to integrate special ed or like you've said, you know, there's people that are, um, you know, separate it from the classroom, whatever that looks like. But where do you see like there's ways for the public school system to improve on like how um, education is delivered to special ed? Um, So the state of Arkansas actually passed um, a law to where in the next four four years, we're going to be in full inclusion. and I don't fully understand how that's going to play out because for multiple reasons, um, for one, education is a profession that's, that no one's entering right now. Like people just aren't, they're not entering it, especially after COVID, it dropped off. And so in order to execute a fully inclusive classroom with all students there's just not enough hands to make that happen or to fully enable that you know, those students to be successful and so it's actually something i'm really struggling with right now um and i voice my concerns to my principal because um you know i have kids with autism i have kids with adhd i have kids with odd i have kids with um, really low IQs, which is what we used to call mental retardation, but now we call intellectual disability. Um, and I'm not against putting them all in the classroom and having like a co-teaching environment because that's what it would look like. It would look like a teacher who did like the main lessons and then it would look like a special education teacher who um, works the IEP or an individual education program um, mm-hmm. plan but there's just not enough educators 
to execute it um, and benefit every student. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 a frustrating time, and even in the like in our state right now, um, there's a huge debate at this moment on funding that's allocated. Um, and I don't even know exactly how to term it, but it's already allocated like in education. It's already like an education fund. It's like a surplus of tax money. Um, and they're wanting to give Arkansas teachers a raise. But we have um, representatives and like our senators that are saying no. Um, and we have one senator in particular, which he was, one of my Bible leaders growing up, I went to his house every Sunday night. He has been demeaning teachers on Facebook and really been a real big jerk. And it's been super disappointing to me because it's someone that I grew up like really like, I mean, looking to as a leader. And um, Well, that kind of behavior is certainly going to encourage more people. To get in the oh, field, yeah. It's, you know? kind of, it's kind of a touchy subject right now in Arkansas because yeah have this money and then there are like six you know representatives that just don't want to give teachers any more pay and are just really being big butts about it and you know as a whole teachers are not people that ask for things as a whole we are not a group of people that are like hey look at me give me the money but when you're trying to demean us and say that we don't deserve it like people are coming unhinged because yeah. there's not a person in this world that hasn't been impacted by a teacher, like not one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really kind of a hot, a hot topic right now in Arkansas. <laughs> well, you mentioned like COVID, you know, for all these challenges, you know, with um, teachers leaving the field and like, you know, dealing with you know, the bureaucracy of it all and like how we're going to handle education with COVID and everything like what, and you started that job almost in the middle of COVID. Is that kind of right? Yeah, I started the, the, my job as a um, special ed teacher in that first year that we went back for COVID. So I was a hybrid teacher. Um, I had students that would come on for lessons on the computer. And then I had some students that were in the classroom. Um, which that was really a hoot. Um, I did have to call um, the abuse hotline a couple of times for my kids that were like, because I could see into their homes, yeah. um, you know, and I saw, I saw a child that was getting beat. Um, I saw a child who had. Not like, in broken, live time. Yeah. Like oh. on FaceTime, like we're having a lesson and this, mom comes in she's mad at the kid and starts like beating the kid that is in in your class yeah there was two different times where i had to call the abuse hotline um because i could see into their homes Mm -hmm. and so one time it's because kids being beat and another time it's because there was like all kinds of prescription drugs on the counter like open and like glass it was really awful um and so that was hard but then and some other, but it was a little more lighthearted at moments too. Like there was this one group of brothers who <laughs> would take the computer and be like, hold on, it's my turn to play hide and go sick. Miss Thompson, let me give you to my brother while I go hide. <laughs> like it just, it, right. learning was almost impossible as, I mean, yeah. as virtual, it was, it was, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. It's like, 
I've talked to other teachers and they're kind of just like, well, you could kind of chalk that year up to just like nothing. Yeah, like nothing. they basically lost an entire year. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I will sure. be trying to get back for. <laughs> and it really was an entire year because it wasn't like a full semester of one year almost, but it was like when you're reinforcing what they've learned. And so then they don't remember it. And so then you have to start over with the stuff they learned the year before. So it really was a whole year of learning that was just gone. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, let's end on a high note. Um, So you are married now and you had texted me, you met the guy of your dreams and the guy that God had uh, put in your path. And did you say his name, Adonis? Adonis. 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 Yeah. So tell us about meeting him and, you know, him wanting to join the family and be a father and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, I met him because our best friends here married each other. So we actually met, it was one of his best friends um, who married one of my best friends. Um, We met at their wedding. And I thought that he was um, interested in my other friend. Um, And so I almost missed my chance with him. Uh, And then I also was seeing somebody kind of like he had just moved back. (laughs) So, well, um, I'm going to pause and like brag on him for a second. He's lived a pretty interesting life. So um, he was cosmopolitan Arkansas man of the year in 2003. (laughs) All right. All right. And then he was a DJ with his own show on the Fuse Network for several years in New York. Um, So he had been away for a long time doing his thing. And he had just moved back to Jonesboro when our friends got married. Um, So I didn't know him. But uh, we met at the wedding. I thought he was interested in my friend. I was kind of seeing this other guy. And then our friends had this Christmas party. I brought this guy to the party, but everyone at the party knew that they were going to try to fix Adonis and I up, but no one told me. So I bring this guy to this party and it was literally like a rom-com when like, you know how people just stop talking and the music goes, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> when I walk in with this guy, because apparently everyone at this person party knew that they were going to like try to like, set you know, you yeah, set us up. Yeah. Except for me. So I bring this guy in and my, this guy that comes in with me is like, are, were we invited to this party? Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> staring at us. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so Adonis is so funny because he says that I messed it up twice. Um, and so I, I, I don't understand how to work Snapchat half the time. And so anyways, I, he messaged me on Snapchat, but like, I didn't really, I didn't even know there was like a messaging feature on Snapchat. <laughs> so I didn't see it for weeks. Um, and I finally did, it went away. And he says, it was like his excuse to step in and ask for my number. Um, and then once he asked for my number, we went on a date and, um, you know, I, I knew that like there was a connection and there would be something special there. Like I, you know, I knew this was something I wanted to pursue, but, um, there are two times 
where I knew that Adonis was going to be the man that I needed. And the first time was when I told him the story that I just told you about um, that man that broke me. Yeah. And he, and he cried and he was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. He was like, no one should ever done that to you. Like, thank you for sharing this with me. Like, and so at that point I was like, Oh yeah, you know what? I think he's the one for me. Um, and then Kent and I have had a really stressful co-parenting relationship and he's had done a lot of dirty stuff that like minus cheating on me with the nanny like he's done a really lot of dirty stuff to me and one in particular was going on while Adonis was at my house and um he just had some really wise words for me and he was like it's not worth your breath to respond to that drama and um it just took me aback and I and I just needed his wisdom and I needed his calming spirit and that was the day that I was like I'm I'm gonna marry this man um because he's helped me walk away from all of that Mm -hmm. um and he is so wonderful with Jolie and so when we got married and I didn't know he was going to do this, but so the day we got married, he like got down on his knees and like gave Jolie this, um, this necklace and like promised to be there forever for her. And he was like, I'm marrying you today too. Like, it was like, like not a dry eye in, you know, our church. Yeah. Um, and I, he's a wonderful father figure and Jolie adores him. And um, you know, we do our own thing. We, he lets me be me. He doesn't like not attach the hip. We can do the things that we need to do. Um, and he aggravates the fire out of me a lot of times, but at the end of the day, like I also laugh at him. <laughs> like he makes me laugh every single day. And, and he, he lets you come to like going away parties at party foul right. in Nashville. Right. So. That's exactly right. Yeah. So at the end of the day, even when he just aggravates me to death, um, like I know I'm going to crawl in bed. Well, not right now. I'm not going to crawl in bed with him tonight because he has COVID. But um, <laughs> I know. So, but you know, at the end of the day, I know I'm going to crawl in bed with him even if I'm pissed off um, and everything will be fine. So I, um, I know that I would not have been able to appreciate him the way that I do if I had not experienced all the pain, you know what I mean? Like I know how special he is. Mm. So, um, he, he's, he's a good man. He's, you know, he may not, you know, fold the towels the right way or whatever, you know, all the things that the <laughs> None of us do. Yeah. None of us do. Except yeah. for that guy who played with the Barbies with you. He probably, oh, right. Him. It. He does it. <laughs> what about, um, what about Jolie? What's she, how old is she? Five? Um, no, she's 11. Oh, five. <laughs> Maybe I just thought somewhere back there you said she was five, and that was probably like way back in the story. Yeah. Um, so 11, that's like, what is she in like that's sixth 11. grade? She's going to be in the sixth grade. Okay. What's she getting into? What's she, is she like you? Does she look like me? Is that what she said? No, no, no. I said like, what's she getting into? Like, is she into things like you would have been into? Um, I don't know. She, 
she, so she was at a performing arts school and for, from, from kindergarten to um, fourth grade. And then she decided that she didn't want to do that anymore. And then she wanted to be a basketball player. And now she's like, I don't know. I don't think I want to be a basketball player. Now I want to ride horses. Like, I don't, you know, she's 11. You never know what they're going to like. It's, it's weird. She's, she likes art. She's very into art. She's, she's very into art. She, she roller skates. We need, well, we need to redo our floors. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Wear your roller skates around the house. So it's like, she literally, I mean, she'll fall asleep in her roller skates. Like she just roller skates around the house. Wow. Pretty good on roller skates. Um, she did a job at Sonic. <laughs> I, just, I told her that the other day. Like, look, that was, you can work here. Um, That's awesome. It's just an awkward age. Like, I mean, yeah. me- mentally, cognitively, like developmentally, all that stuff. It's just, Sixth grade is probably your most awkward time in your whole life. <laughs> I, I will attest to that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely so it's, a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard time. And I hate the phone. It's awful. I wish it never existed. She has a phone. It's a terrible idea. Don't give your kids phones. If you haven't yet and you're debating it, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't give into it. I hate it. Awful. That's the final piece of advice. That's, That's the final piece of advice. If you are debating giving your preteen a phone, don't do it. Yes. Love it. That's it. Well, um, I wanted to say thank you for the transparency, just like sharing your story, being you. And um, I know that, you know, I hope nobody's going through something like that right now, but like, you know, hearing somebody from our, you know, community, like share their story that honestly, and like that there's hope on the other side of that. I think it's just like a lot of bravery on your part. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Well, I told you I was nervous. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I, I think it was great. great. Um, <laughs> well, hold on. I'm going to Maybe I don't understand.